0: I ran into an old friend this week from uh, Nooksack days. Uh, that's where our, our first ministry was at Nooksack Valley Baptist Church, and we still have friends in the county from those days. And ran into this uh, friend at uh, Taco Bell, somebody else with great food taste like myself. She's been a schoolteacher for 35 years. Maybe that's why she was at Taco Bell. Her mind is addled just a little bit. Uh, can't help but admire folks like her who uh, teach elementary children like me for 35 years. Uh, I wasn't a teacher's dream particularly. I admire folks like our own uh, Jim Hively and Barb Watson who spend 180 days a year or more with uh, kids that can be a little bit challenging. I generally liked school. I generally enjoyed school and school. Teachers But every once in a while, I thought I knew better than they did. I often didn't have much interest in the broad subject of English or grammar. I know you probably can't tell that now from my eloquent manner of speaking. I remember a particular assignment that I thought was a waste of time. So I just marked it randomly and handed it in. I got a rashing from the teacher... And from my parents, and it took me more time in the end to deal with it than if I'd had done the stupid assignment. <sighs> One of the unfortunate challenges of education is there are oftentimes you can't understand how something is going to be valuable. Uh, I think it's God's joke on me that he made me a professional communicator, both in writing and verbally, when I spurned my English education. I didn't understand the the value. We're going to talk about a topic today from God's Word that I didn't understand the value of it at first either when I first began to learn it. I understood it was important because it's mentioned in God's Word so many times. So don't get me wrong, I understand it was a a clear and, and important Bible doctrine. But I didn't understand the great value that it brings to the Christian life. But over the years, as I've thought about this, and as I've uh, worked with people who are going through struggles in their life, I've come to understand how important it is for us to have our life focused on God's glory. We're building this uh, pyramid a block at a time as we consider the things that will bring about godly character, godly conduct, the peace and joy that we long for, At the top of this pyramid, godly maturity is all built on a variety of beliefs and actions. I hope you don't get me wrong when I say this. Coming to faith in Christ does not in and of itself produce godly maturity. That's what 2 Peter chapter 1 means when it says, Add to your faith and it gives a long string of character qualities that we are to be working toward in the Christian life. Now, I've said it when we talked about salvation, and I'll say it again. You cannot do any of the things that the godly life encompasses without salvation. It is when the new life is implanted. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You must be saved in order to manifest godly character. Let me make that real practical. If you want to live a calm, peaceful life, you must be saved. Because peace is only the product of godliness. You can't get it through a pill or a bottle or an activity or any other manner. And so I believe that godly maturity is what people need and what people want, even though sometimes they don't realize it's what they need and what they want. But, and one of the important building blocks as we would focus our life toward Christ is just that, as we would build our godly maturity. Is my life focused on God's glory? And so I want to ask the question, first of all, why? Why? Why should my life be focused on God? Why should I build my life around God? And the first answer to that question is a very simple one, because he is God. Listen to this scripture from Isaiah 42. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. When I was a kid, there was a series of jokes that went like this. Where does a 500-pound canary sit? Wherever it wants to. God is more than a 500-pound canary. But He is God, and so He gets to do what He wants. Look at how this verse, how He describes Himself. I declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, I declare things that have not happened yet. We read the Old Testament, and we see the prophecies put there about Jesus Christ. Would you just step back a minute and think of God hundreds or thousands of years before Christ going, some things are going to happen. And you go, yeah, yeah, I get that. Well, get this. He's the fella that you're supposed to honor because he is that person and you're not. Can you make things happen in the future? No, you can't speak it into existence. You can't name it and claim it. You can't dream it and do it. Only God declares the end from the beginning and things that have not happened from ancient times. That's who you're dealing with. Now, is that a popular concept, do you suppose, in our American society? You need to honor God because he is God. In fact, what does he say here? I will not, I will not give my glory to another. I will not. What are some things that have been getting God's glory in recent years? Well, the chief among them is humanity. You see, if you can speak it and make it happen, if that were possible, you would be God. God but you're not are you god is god he is god and so as i consider my life and i say what is my life going to be centered on the starting point needs to be god because he is god and listen what colossians chapter 1 verses 16 through 17 say about him and I understand that as I talk about God, sometimes the Scripture will mention the Father, sometimes it will mention the Son, sometimes it will mention the Spirit. In the regard that we're speaking today, they all coalesce, and they all, uh, our attention all goes toward them all when we are bringing glory. For by Him, it's talking about Jesus Christ in particular, for by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. The word consist there literally means holds together. God should be exalted in our lives because He is our provider and sustainer. Let me, let me ask you to think about something kind of uh, kind of crazy, but also kind of... Uh, maybe it'll inspire a little bit of thinking on your part today. Let's say you don't like what God's doing in your life. Okay, Let's just, let's just put that down and say, well, that's the way we're going to think for a minute. Well, how about this? How about if God just took His hands off your life? A lot of people think they would like that, but you know, according to Colossians 1.17, he is literally holding your molecules together. Would you like him to let go and let your life become random? You know what a random human body looks like? I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, one of the big questions of science is why do the electrons and protons and neutrons and all that stuff keep doing what they do? And they go, we don't know. God says, he claims, he holds it together. You want God to let go of your life? Really? You have no idea what God is doing around you as you drive down the street, as you go to work, you have no idea what God is doing. He is the one who sees the beginning from the end. And yet so many times we think, God, just leave me alone. And you should be thankful that God doesn't do that. Because your life would dissolve. Literally. And so when you get up in the morning and you think, what am I going to live my life for today? There ought to be a thought that says, you know what? God created me. God holds me together. I think he deserves my worship. He deserves me to live my life in a way that honors him. There's another reason that you ought to, uh, that you ought to honor God. Would one of you guys like to help me out? I love having you guys sit in the front row, by the way. I, I, need, I need the shortest one. Come here. Come here. At least you look the shortest. Okay. Let me see how long your arm is. Make sure this works. Okay. Okay. I want you to hit me right here. Come on. Hit me. Give it to me. Come on. Give me your all. Okay. Kick me. Come on. You ever do that with somebody? That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> do you really think you can fight with God And come out on top? Really? No. Because he is God. He's God. You can fight God, but you are absolutely wasting your time and energy. And at best, at best, if you're a Christian, all you're doing when you fight God is delaying your obedience. Because what does God say he's going to do to a Christian that walks away from him? He he says, I'm going to secure your obedience by all means necessary. Do you really want God to have to use all means necessary? Boy, I don't. Honestly, friends, that's one of the reasons I confess my sin. I don't want God getting after me. I think that's what God means when he says we should live in the fear of God. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not living my life scared of what God's going to do all the time, but I know that God says he takes sin seriously, and he takes righteousness seriously, and so if I want to live my life properly, I should say, look, I'm dealing with the God of the universe, he deserves my worship, he deserves my life to be focused around him, centered around him. Why should my life be focused on God? First of all, because he's God. Second of all, because he saved me. He saved me. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says that he paid your debt. He paid the price you owed to God. Therefore, that means you have been bought. Your sin has been paid for, but your soul now belongs to God. And he says, because of that, you should live your life in a way that honors him. Again, we need to stop and think a minute. What's it worth for me to go to heaven when I die? Well, that seems like a pretty valuable blessing. And if I take that seriously, then I need to say, God has saved me. I owe him my life. I need to live my life in a way that honors him. What was the cost of your salvation? We talked about it a little bit here today, but Isaiah 53 says this: that the cost of your salvation was God the Father punishing His own Son instead of you. Now I want you to think for a minute about somebody you really like. Okay, I won't. I won't. Uh, I won't tell you who that should be. Okay, uh, could be a husband or wife. I, I hope if you're married, it might be them. A child, a mother, a father, a best friend, some special person in your life. Just think for a minute about somebody you really like. Now, in order for me to get saved, you, you personally have to put that person to death. Are you going to do it? Be honest. No. That's what... (laughs) That's the significance of these verses right here. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Let's just say I was somehow the most important man in the world. Maybe you would do this. Yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his love. he, He shows us what his love is like in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That would be like if I had just slapped you in the face. And I said, please, put your friend to death for me. And you'd go, forget it. But we slap God in the face when we sin, when we're sinners, and he still sent his son to die for us on the cross. And he personally caused pain and suffering to come to Christ, not the physical part, but the spiritual part, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God went through that. God the Father went through that. Jesus went through that. And that's why when you get up in the morning, you should say, God, I'm going to live my life for you. I'm going to live my life the way you want. I am going to bring honor to you today. Jesus died for me. My life should be focused on God because he owns me twice. He owns me by creation and he owns me by recreation now turn with me please to philippians chapter 2 as we consider the next question how do we pursue god's glory how do we do this just beyond colossians there or just before my bible's all stuck together colossians chapter 2 let me give you the short answer to this question the short answer is the word worship Now, that doesn't mean a church service. Let's see what it means here in Philippians 2, starting verse 8. Talking about Jesus, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth. We should be bowing our knee to Christ because of the great salvation he gave us. Now, if you want to know what it means to worship... Go all the way back to the original sin. And I'm not talking about Adam and Eve. That's the original sin in humanity. The original sin in the world, in the universe, is Satan or Lucifer as he would have been known when he said, I want to sit on God's throne. Now what is that? Help me out, class. What kind of an attitude is that? Pride. Pride. It's self-exaltation. Whereas God says, Jesus died on the cross, we need to bow our knee to Him and exalt Him. And so in our life, there is a choice. It's Christ-exaltation or it's self-exaltation. There's no middle ground here. It's one or the other. And so, when we ask, what does it mean to bow and worship to God? First of all, it means that we believe in Christ as our Savior. First John 3 says this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ. If God is, is so great and he has provided salvation and commanded salvation, if we do not believe in Christ as our Savior, we are not bowing our knee. We are not worshiping. You can come to church services of all shapes and varieties and you can go three or four or five a dozen times a week and it doesn't matter a lick if in your heart You're not bowing and saying, I believe in Christ as my Savior. That is the beginning point. And we go from there to this. It means not only that we believe in Christ as Savior, it means we obey Christ as Lord. So let me ask you some questions about the lordship of Christ in your life. Does Christ get to tell you what to do through His Word, or do you tell Him what He should be doing? When you get up in the morning, is it, God, please give me marching orders, or is it, God, here's a laundry list I'd like you to do. Now, would you get busy on this? Do you work at living righteously by confessing sin and giving effort to the life of righteousness. Is that a goal in your life? As you get up in the morning, you say, Today, I have a zero tolerance for sin. You know, we all set tolerances. Uh, (laughs) When I lived in Boardman, Oregon, several of my folks worked in a big potato processing plant, and one of them was in quality assurance. And they produced tater tots. So the next time you eat tater tots, remember this. One time they were going to make some product and they needed some flour to make the product, and they had some flour in the warehouse. And so this fellow's job that week, or sometime that week, not the whole week, was to check the flour to see how many bugs were in it. Because there is an acceptable quantity of bugs and bug parts in the flour that goes in your food chain. There is an allowable tolerance. Remember that when you're eating tater tots, huh? <laughs> I had some yesterday. Oh, Lord, have mercy. (laughs) We do the same thing with sin. We have an allowable tolerance for sin. Now, these things, they're wicked bad because I don't do them. But these things over here, they're not too bad. And I don't do it too much. Do you get up in the morning saying, God help me have a zero tolerance for sin. Zero tolerance. And when you do sin, do you have an immediate tolerance concern and a reaction to confess to say god i did that again i'm sorry it's wrong please help me to change if you are going to obey christ as lord there has to be an effort to working at being righteous another question in terms of the lordship of christ whose goals dominate your life do you have a career path that you've plotted out for the next 20 or 30 years This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this, and this is where I'm going to end up. And if you have that path, has it been built with prayer and with the Word of God? And has it been submitted to the Lordship of Christ as in God? Here's what I'd like to do if you will. Or is it, no, this is what I'm going to do. Your goals need to be submitted to Christ. You young people that may be coming up considering college, is your goal to get a good job so you'll make lots of money? Is that as far as it goes? Now, I, I do have to say this, otherwise the parents will be upset with me. You should become self-supporting. That's very important. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. You know, one of the things that bugged me about my kids... They said, I I want to go to camp and be a counselor. I don't want to have a regular job this summer. I just believe the Lord wants me to go to camp and be a counselor. How in the world can you argue with that? (laughs) No, I think you should get a real job. Come on. Now who's the ungodly one? Are your goals submitted to God? Are you genuinely trying to pursue the things he wants you to pursue? In terms of the lordship of Christ, do you accept the circumstances God allows in your life? Do you count it all joy when you encounter various trials? If you don't, then you're not living for God's glory. You're living for your own personal comfort. Do you relate to the body of Christ as he commanded? What do I mean by that? The Bible says if you've accepted Christ as your savior, you've been placed into the body of Christ. We are a body. We are not a organization we are an organism do you purposefully connect yourself with the body of Christ for the purpose of ministry and to let God use you as he will or do you hold back because if you do you're seeking your own goals not God's do you represent God in the world as he commanded in other words when you get a chance Do you speak for the Lord? This week, somebody that I've had a a long-term business relationship talked about their life, and they said, I've been doing some soul-searching. And my green flag went up, and I went, ding, ding, ding. That's what I've been waiting for. And I said, buddy, I want to help you do that soul-searching. Do you take those... I mean, I don't go out and beat people over the head. and I'm not saying I'm the best witness in the world, but when that happens... Even I can go, hey, i got to get out here and talk about God to this fella. Do you do that at all, ever? Do you purposefully avoid those circumstances because, well, you know, that uh, can't talk about religion and politics. That would be rude. God says he wants you to talk about relationship to Christ in the world. Let me simplify this even further. When we ask the question... How do you pursue? What does it mean to bow and worship to God? Here's a real simple way to know. Is there something in your life right now that you know is wrong, but you refuse to change? If that is the case, then you are the God of your life, not Christ. It's that simple. Now, why is this so important? Here's why it's so important. Because there are results from pursuing the glory of God. Last week, uh, we talked about the fact that God rewards those who diligently seek him. This week, I want to take that a step further and say this. When you orient your life to bring God glory, God rewards you with great spiritual blessing. And the first one of those blessings is consistent strength. I've chosen my words very carefully on this series of points, and they both matter. It's not just strength, and it's not just consistent. It's consistent strength. As you walk through life, things hit you. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're large. How are you going to walk strongly through your life? How are you going to face whatever is coming tomorrow that you don't know is coming? If your life is oriented to the glory of God, God is going to give you strength. Listen to this from the Apostle Paul. This is a great story. From my, this is in the book of Acts. He's talking about his travels and some of the things that happened to him. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with humility, with tears and with trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. These are hard things that he was not excited about. He said, but you know I went through this, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you, and I taught it to you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound. That is, I'm in handcuffs, and I'm going bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me. I don't want to go to Jerusalem, but I have to go because God is calling me and some things are going to happen. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. How would you like to come and talk to me after church today? And I say, Brother, what's ahead for you tomorrow when you get up is chains and tribulations. You'd say, Pastor Dave, don't say that. (laughs) The Apostle Paul says, The Holy Spirit said to me, Everywhere I go, it's going to be chains and tribulations. But none of these things moves me. Man, that's the coolest. None of these things move me. The Apostle Paul is walking through his life, and the Holy Spirit says, You're going to be in chains and tribulations. And he kept right on going. Man. Man. I want to be that strong. Nor do I count my own life as dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, I am so focused on bringing honor to God that it doesn't matter what happens. That's the strength you can have and you will build as every day you say, my job today is to bring glory to God. My job is to live in a way that honors Him. In the core, in the core of your person, of your world, your identity is something. If it's your job and you lose your job, What happens to your world? It collapses. Why do, years ago, I heard a statistic that the average man only collects 18 Social Security checks, and so many men seem to lose their identity when they retire. You want to know how to avoid that, men? Make your identity Christ. It'll never change. Us men get focused on our jobs. It kind of becomes who we are, and some jobs are more that way than others. But if the core of your life is, I'm a Christian, then if you lose your job, or or if you lose your legs, or whatever you lose, you say, I'm still a Christian. None of these things move me. If the core of your world is another person, and that person rejects you and leaves or perhaps they die, then what happens to your world? If the core of your life is pleasure, and your ability to experience pleasure is taken away by a tragic accident, your life suddenly has no meaning. But if the core of your being is bringing honor to God by living like Christ, no matter what happens day to day, then your life can never be removed. You'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul, to live as Christ, to die is gain. So it doesn't matter if I'm in chains. None of these things moves me. Ah, cons- consistent strength, constant meaning. You know this verse, therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And we often think of it as a command. Let me ask you to think about it as a promise. Everything you do can bring glory to God, even though it doesn't seem that spiritual sometimes, even eating and drinking. I am working at making my eating glorify God. Boy, that's a struggle for me. But my eating either glorifies Him or doesn't but I have the potential even to eat in such a way that it honors Him. You have the potential to honor God, not only with what you do, but with how you do all things. We can easily see how teaching a Bible lesson in the, from the pulpit of the church honors God, but what about cutting the grass or taking out the garbage or obeying mom or dad or any of the daily tasks we face? This is Tim Neufeldt. Him and his wife are our missionaries in togo and uh, in his in his letter this week, if you follow their ministry if you don 't you should He writes a great kind of a journal story type thing usually every sunday night it 's always really great um, they 're building a whole new medical complex with a hospital as a base of evangelism to the north section of the country, which is heavily populated with folks from a majority religion in the world, which I will not name because what I say goes on the internet and on the radio. Just think of maybe the second biggest religion in the world, okay? And they're making this major push, and he's the senior missionary kind of leading the charge, and so what's he doing? Uh, Going to the government offices to try to get him to not charge taxes on building materials? getting a house built so people can live in it while they come to work on the hospital, all kinds of stuff like that. Thanks so much for your prayers on our behalf. I mentioned earlier that we seem to be doing so many things that are very mundane, and it's quite different from most of our career here in Togo, which was preaching and teaching and discipling people and training pastors and so on. But we call to mind the words of the Apostle Paul, that even eating and drinking should be done to the glory of God. And if eating and drinking qualify as ways to glorify God, surely finding, hiring, and training workers, as well as sorting our way through tax issues for the building of a future ministry center can be done to his glory. What a great example from the life of our missionary who would rather be teaching the Bible, rather be evangelizing, but he's got some mundane stuff to do. You've got some mundane stuff in your life all the way from changing diapers to putting up with your boss but it all can bring glory to god if it's done in a god-honoring way what a privilege is ours For it's, it's the god who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of god not of us What does God want to do? God wants you as a clay pot, not a strong metal treasure chest, but a clay pot. He wants you to go out and live for Christ so that when people see you living for Christ in all the circumstances of your life, they'll go, that must be God at work so that the glory might go to God. Number three, coherent guidance. Let me ask you this question. How will you decide? Where to go to college. How will you decide if you should go to college? How will you decide who to marry? How will you decide who to date? How will you decide where you should work? What you should do on vacation? How many children you should have? What kind of career you should have? There are all kinds of ways to make these decisions, but there's only one way for your life to be consistent. And that is to have a settled, broad goal that controls every aspect of your life. Brethren, I do not count myself to have already become like Christ, apprehended. But one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you get up in the morning saying, This is where I'm headed. I'm headed to being like Christ. Now... How can my vacation factor into that? How can who I will marry factor into that? How can where I go to college factor into that? If that is your overriding goal, your life can have consistent guidance. One more thing, confounding growth. Now I know some of you are thinking, where would you get the word confound? You must have just been struggling for a C word on that list. And that's true. But the more I thought about it, I thought, this is the perfect word. Because the word confound means some, for something to be unexpected. You know, like when your kids get up in the morning and make their own bed and brush their own teeth and get themselves ready and take out the garbage and clean up the kitchen without you ever saying a word, and you are confounded. <laughs> confounded, yes. It means to be puzzled, to be amazed, to to have to sit back and go, wow, look at that. And what I want to say to you today is that the pursuit of the glory of God will produce growth in you that will confound you. You see, we take self inventories and we see certain strengths and weaknesses in ourselves. I'm good at math, I'm poor at history. I'm not a deep thinker, I'm more of a doer, I'm not creative, but I work hard, I'm compassionate, I'm not a confronter. We have these little self-inventories, well, that's just the way I am. And that's a true statement, that's the way you are. But the mistake we make is in seeing ourselves in static or unchanging terms. This is who I am and we don't really change. And we tend to see our ability to handle difficulty as absolutely limited to only certain quantities. I can handle this much, I can't handle that much. Now here's the important question. What can God do in your life? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even think, according to the power that works in us, To Him be glory in the church. What can God do in you if you will say, I'm going to live my life for God's glory, and if He brings this, that's fine. If He brings that, if He calls me to do such a thing, I will do this thing, even though I don't think I can quite handle it, I can't quite do it. If you will be so focused on God's glory you will grow beyond the boxes you've drawn around your life. If, on the other hand, I regulate my life by my conception of who I am, I will live a meager, miserly, isolated life. But if I follow God's word, the Holy Spirit, and I accept the circumstances of, the life, of life as he has given it to me, I will become more than I or others ever thought possible. This is a picture of the president having a beer. This fellow is the police officer he insulted. This is the guy that the police officer arrested. This is the vice president. And uh, I'm not going to comment on all of that. That's not my place. But here's what I am going to comment on. I mean, he he pretty severely insulted that police officer. And he said, hey, come on to the White House and have a beer, you and the other fella, and we'll work this all out. If the president said that to you, let's say he said, come on and let's have a Diet Coke. (laughs) Would you go? Oh, no, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go. I bet a lot of you would go because the president invited you to the White House to have a little sit-down. I'd go. I'd go to see what's going on. Here's the point. I was surprised, frankly. I was surprised that the police officer went because the president didn't apologize to him, and he did, in my opinion, misspeak. I commented on it after all. Sorry. But he went because it's the White House and it's the president. And for him to turn that down would look like a pretty darn huge insult. Plus, when else is he going to get invited to the White House to have a beer with the president? How cool is that? That's the way the world thinks. Now, let me just bring this over to our world. The God of the universe has invited you to bring glory to him he's invited you into the throne room to bring glory to him in everything you do every day are you going to turn him down are you going to go live for your own glory oh i hope not because not only will you dishonor your savior you will miss out on some of the greatest blessings of your life heavenly father Thank you for inviting us to bring you glory in every part of our life. It's not just the church services. It's not just the Bible reading, but it's how we live our life every day. And you have so graciously given us the opportunity to honor you in all of those things. Thank you. Make that true in us this week. Help us to receive your invitation with joy. Pray in Christ's name, amen.